Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, guess what? Before we get into it, you might have heard, I am drafted to the two Ramagpies as a part of the Carlton Draft. I'm going to be playing a game, dominating, kicking six, and then resetting at quarter time. For the first time in Carlton Draft history, one lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Erin Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good's that? If you want to enter this now to get her down to your football club, visit thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com. G'day guys and welcome back to the Dylan Friends Podcast. This week, another huge guest and another new friend, Hugh Van Kylenberg. Hugh is a founding director and facilitator of the world-renowned Resilience Project. If you've been living under a rock and haven't heard of the Resilience Project, it's one of the biggest mental health and wellness programs running in Australia. They connect through presentations, well-being journals, school curriculum, teacher diaries and their own app. Also, many of you would be aware of the Resilience Project book, which is one of the best reads I've come across, and I'm sure you'll want to have a read after today's episode if you haven't already. So make sure you check out the show notes. The Resilience Project has also worked with some of the biggest sporting teams and athletes across Australia. Steve Smith, Dustin Martin, and Billy Slater are just a small sample of some of the genuine superstars that have embraced the program's three main categories, gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness. It talks about focusing on what we have and not what we don't, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and breaking down what mindfulness is and how easy it is to practice it. It's an incredible story and it all started with Hugh. I can't thank him enough for his time. It was an awesome chat and I hope you get out of it as much as I did. Also, guys, don't forget the Dylan Friends podcast is now available as a vodcast. So make sure you jump on YouTube, subscribe to the channel and you can watch some of our chat. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some light-hearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Hugh, thank you so much for coming on the Dylan Friends podcast, mate. Um, I'm, a, I'm an absolutely massive fan. I know I reached out a while ago and I know how busy you are, mate. So thank you so much for your time and, um, yeah, couldn't be wrapped to get you on the show. Uh, mate, it's a, it's a pleasure. I just can't believe you've got me following Daniel Gorringe. I He's a very big act to follow and I'm... I'm not wrapped with that, but I guess I've got to work with that. And yeah, hopefully people don't listen to Daniel and then me because I he's too much. He's too much of a big act to follow. But anyway, no, I'm, I'm wrapped to be here, mate. Wrapped to be here. I think after that episode, mate, they might need to check in with themselves and really just make sure they're okay. So this could be a perfect <laughs> act to follow, honestly. Um, mate, I've obviously pumped up enough in my intro that we've already done, and the people know what you're about. I'm sure that I didn't even need an introduction because the Resilience Project is is really swept uh, the world, I suppose, and especially Australia. It's it's an incredible thing, um, not just for athletes. I know that we'll get into how I've sort of come across your work, but mate, I suppose the biggest question I really want to ask is how did how did it all start? Uh, I never know how to answer this question like um, really succinctly. I guess. The best way to say it is that I, from a young age, was always really, really interested in mental health because my sister was really sick when she was a kid growing up. She had anorexia nervosa and she, um, so she hated the way that she looked and she stopped eating and, and it, it ravaged her, mate. Like it completely smashed her and kind of ravaged the family of 30, 31 kilograms and she's five foot eight, so she's not short. Um, she's five foot eight, about that anyway. She's 30, 31 kilograms. So, and that just devastated mum and dad. I mean, anyone who's listening right there, like, like, like for, for all the listeners, if you know someone with a mental illness, you know it's not just that person who struggles. It's the people who care for them, the people who love them swept up. Or if you struggle yourself, you know very well that like 
the effect you have on other people. You don't mean to, you don't want to, but you can't help it. So I'd sit back as like a teenager looking at mum and dad going, oh my God, like they used to be so happy or our family used to be so happy and now my sister's mental illness, we're just never happy anymore. We're always blowing over dinner table or it's just like... So when my sister was in hospital when she was 18, I remember just like, I remember, I just remember having this thought of like, I wish I knew what I could do to help mum and dad be happy again. And I didn't know what I wanted to do for a job. I thought, oh, I would like to be a teacher because then I can work with kids and maybe help them avoid mental health stuff. But I had no idea what I was doing really. Um, so I taught from the age of like 23 through to like I was, actually when I was 28, I was living in India. I was teaching over in India in a little remote village that was full on, like no running water, no electricity. Um, everyone slept on the dirt floor, like really poor community. And um, I remember just going, these people are genuinely the happiest people I've ever met in my entire life. And I remember going, well, this is weird. Like how are these people, like if they want to shower, I'm a bath. They have to walk down to the freezing cold river and just jump in the river. Like they sleep on a dirt floor. They've got no money. Um, they would insist that I had goat. I'd eat goat every couple of weeks. Um, and But they couldn't afford it. Like they couldn't afford goat. Like they'd have it once every like three months or once every four months. But they were just like, no, you, you and I don't want to eat goat. It's pretty gross, but I felt bad not eating it. So I just had to. But um, I was like, why is it these people are so happy i just and so in two it was meant to be two weeks there and i was like no i'm gonna live here i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna live here as long as it takes me to work out what do these unreal people do every day that makes them so happy and i ended up living in the village for three and a half minutes and um anyone who follows the resilience project will know that they do this thing that i ended up calling gem so they practice gratitude empathy and mindfulness they stop their day they practice it every day so gratitude where you just pay attention to what you've got, like focus on what you've got. Don't worry about what you don't have. Um, empathy, where you where you genuinely think about other people before you think about yourself. Basically, you're a good bloke. I think it's what we call it in Australia. Like you're a proper yeah. good bloke. You're not a stinker. Um, and mindfulness, which is where you're just calm and you're present. So I came back to Australia and I started, I kept teaching and I was teaching this stuff in my classroom and I couldn't believe the impact it was having on the kids. Like they were just so different and I thought, oh, there's something in this. So, I decided to put together a presentation for primary school kids on the three things, gem, gratitude, empathy, mindfulness. And then I thought, oh, I might actually try and start a business. Well, I didn't even call it then. I didn't say I'm starting a business. I just thought I'll, I'll go around, I'll travel around schools and tell these stories about these people and hopefully it helps kids to feel happier and hopes ham- and hopefully, hopefully it helps families who are struggling like my family did. And, um, yeah, like seriously, it would have been – I know, it was a really tough first couple of years. Like people didn't want to borrow me. They're like, no, nah, mate, you're a weirdo. You're not coming to our school. <laughs> uh, but then it sort of really started to get going. And then it's just like uh, after about three, of, it was about three years of pretty tough times. But then um, it just took off and exploded. And like you said, you know, um, it was just sort of everywhere after that. And everyone wanted to hear the message and it sort of really hit home with, like I know the people who listen to your show, you know, like a lot of people in there, 20s you know who we don't often talk about mental health stuff um but all of a sudden i'm talking to every nrl footy club and most of the afl clubs and people who don't usually talk about mental health i could see them going this so i remember can i swear on this podcast i didn't yeah yeah we we like we love it okay (laughs) so um that's good to know so i remember doing the talk to melbourne storm they were the first ever elite sporting club i did and i was pretty nervous because the 
the biggest units in the world. And I'm talking and I was like, are these guys bored? And Billy Slater put his hand up and he goes, mate, this is fucking awesome. Keep going. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't going to stop. But yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, and, um, and at that point, I remember going, oh my God, like no one's talking to, like mental illness affects so many of us, yet no one's really talking about it. So I think we kind of struck something at a pretty important time. And yeah, it just kind of went off from then. And then next thing I know, it's sort of all over the world, which is really cool. But I think that's a very long answer to your question, Dill. But there you go. <laughs> no, it's it's perfect, mate. And it's, it gives us a really good idea of, I suppose, how it came came about. Um, I'm really intrigued in, obviously, the gym. So that's something that yeah. you learned over in India. Um, gratitude, yeah. empathy, and mindfulness. And I yeah. think that for me, um, I, I sort of spoke to you when I was trying to woo you to come onto the podcast. I gave you a little bit of a spiel. And it was probably even longer than that story there. And you probably, I don't even know if you read through it. But I think gratitude's something for me that like I definitely have found that is something that's changed my life. Um, I yeah. think that it's something that like it's so easy to do but it's actually so hard to do as well at the same time yeah um and one thing that i always wanted to probably ask you is why do you feel like gratitude is something that so many people don't actually appreciate as much as they should um yeah so okay so it's a really really good question so like gratitude very simply is the ability to pay attention to what you've got not to worry about what you don't have but so many of us in australia like we say to ourselves if I get this promotion, then I feel happy. Or if I get um, this many followers on social media, then I feel happy. If I buy this car and drive around a car like this, then I feel happy. Um, if I play this many games for this club, then I feel happy. Or if I get picked in this team, then I feel happy. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. Like They're all normal things to want. But the problem is we say to ourselves, if I get it, then I'll be happy. And that doesn't work because like, you buy a nice new car and you're like, awesome, I got this car. And then like, a year later, you look around and someone pulls up with the lights in a nicer car and you go, oh, fuck me. If I drive a car like that, then I feel happy. Or you go, um, you play like 50 games for your footy club and then you go, right, i got to play 100 though. If I play 100, then I'll, then I'll feel happy, whatever it is. Um, Gratitude is when you look at what you've already got. We've got so much right now. Like mm. we have got so – and this is, the, this is the other thing. Like the reason some of us are struggling right now is because we're focusing on the stuff that we don't have, the things that we can't do because of coronavirus like there's a lot of places we can't be a lot of people we can't be with a lot of things we can't do the more time we spend worrying about that the harder we're going to find it to be happy instead we go look at what we still have and there's still plenty um so i mean dustin martin like i sound like a flog name dropping dustin martin but i'm, I'm only doing it because you're allowed to drop there's probably still people, okay there's are still probably people going mate this sounds fucking stupid i'm not doing this and i get that um, but I'll give you a Dustin Martin, right? So I remember doing stuff in Richmond back in 2000 and I reckon it was 2017. Like, anyway, and um, I had this like, we've got these journals that resilience project. So you can actually get one of our journals and you can, and you can sort of answer the questions that we've got in there about gratitude every day. And Dustin Martin walked past when we was leaving. I was like, oh shit, that's Dustin Martin. That's pretty cool. And I got real nervous. And he looked at the journals, he looked at me, and I said, boys, there's enough journals for one each. Dusty took 10 of them. And I was like, I was about to say, sorry, mate, if you could, um, yeah, sorry, that's fine. But I said, excuse me, and he goes, what? And I was like, oh, my God, he's so scary. I went, nothing, have a nice day, see you, Mr. Martin. <laughs> and, and he walks off with his journals. But no shit, Dustin Martin still does his journal every single day, right? That was 2016, I think it was, 2017. Yeah. He still writes in his resilience project journal every night. And you wouldn't picture it. You wouldn't picture Dustin Martin 
getting out of diary when he goes to bed, but he does it. I, I spoke to him the other day about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I still do it, mate. Still, it's massive. Um, so again, I sound like a flog name dropping Dustin Martin, but I kind of feel like if it's good enough for Dusty, it's sort of good enough for, for all of us really. Yeah, definitely, mate. And don't worry, if I had Dusty on the podcast, I would be, uh, I'd be name dropping <laughs> a fair bit. You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. For swag merch, check out dylanfriends.com forward slash shop. I suppose one question I probably have with gratitude as well that I sort of have thought about a little bit with it, like I think, and I hope that you'd agree with this, but I think gratitude is one of those things as well, like just because you say you're grateful doesn't mean that all the time you're going to be grateful. Like I have times where I wake up some days and I'm probably the opposite to grateful. Like you're just in the worst mood, you want everything, you want it all now. But I think for me, like the more I practice it, the quicker I snap out of that. Is that you- so? So again, I'm going to fuck with it again and mention Dustin Martin. But I saw him speak at a conference a little while ago, and he was just talk- he was talking about gratitude. He was talking about gem gratitude, empathy, mindfulness. And he said this. He goes, he goes, you can't walk out of this room. It was at Crown Towers for all the people working at Bonds. And he goes, he said to them, you can't walk out of this room and go, yeah, I'll be more grateful. That sounds good. He goes, if you want to be good at something in life, you've got to practice it. And he said, gratitude's no different. So you can't walk out of here and just expect that you're going to be more grateful. So the way you practice gratitude for everyone listening, it's pretty simple. It couldn't be easier. You write down three things that went well for you every day. That's it. And, and please, like the wording's really important. Don't do three things that you're grateful for. Because if you do three things you're grateful for, it'll work for a bit. But most people get really bored with that. And you yeah. go, um, family, friends, job, house, car. I don't know. And then you just kind of get bored and you just sort of, you stop. But if you do three things that went well for you, it's like, doesn't have to be amazing things and it can be little things that happen to you during the day i uh, went for a run today really enjoyed it had a good cup of coffee got a great text message from a mate um got tagged in something awesome on instagram whatever it is um and you just pay attention to little stuff right and when you do that every day three things write in a notepad next to your bed write in a journal next to your bed write in your phone um discuss it with your partner over dinner whatever it is um what happens is uh, you might wake up the next day and go, fuck me, it's raining and I've got to be out on site all day. That's bullshit. Um, but you'll be quicker to go, well, do you know what? I've got a job. Like a lot of people don't write, right now don't have a job. I do have a yeah. job. So you'll catch, it, like you'll catch yourself a little bit quicker yeah. being a little bit more sort of grateful. And Because we all have moments, like you say. Like I, I do it all the time. I drove um, all the way down to the um, Oval to go for a run like the other day and I realised my headphones didn't have back my... Um, Hip hop things down with charging in them, and I was missing a sole for my shoes because my son had taken it out. And I'm mad, I, I fucking cracked. I was at the park going, fucking kidding me. I've come all this way for a run, and I can't. And I was like, hey, like, how lucky am I? Like, I still get to go and exercise. I'll do something else. I'll do, it won't be a long run. I'll just run with a sole missing. 10 years ago, I was living in a community where half the kids didn't have shoes. And I was yeah. like, mate, pull your fucking head in. Like, you are so lucky. Um, so, yeah, you sort of catch yourself a bit quicker. But I'm not saying, it makes you perfect, but exactly what you said, um, it snaps it. You sort of snap yourself out of it pretty quickly. Yeah, and I suppose especially with that, like the the ups aren't as good if you don't have the downs along the journey. Um, a lot of people talk uh, about this, and I suppose it's something that I love about your program um, is being a magnet. Like, if you can treat yourself as pretty much a magnet, like you are what you attract. Pretty much, like if you you know if you yeah. are if you if you practice gem, if you are grateful, empathetic you practice your mindfulness, things come to you. Like those things attract yep. to you. And like I found yep. like 
it's sort of like people say, like, the harder you work, the luckier you get. But I actually find with this stuff, like the more I practice this stuff, the better things keep happening to me. But I'm like, well, is that actually better things happening to me? Or is it just because I'm practicing these things, I don't really care about the other stuff anymore? It's probably, it's probably a combination of stuff. You're probably noticing a lot more. like um, Because the research says if you write down three things that went well for you um, every day, apparently according to the research, what happens to you after 21 days is you actually become... So the average person has this. The average person is seven times more likely to notice a negative than a positive. That's kind of how our brain works. We walk around and we're seven times more likely to us a negative. And how's this? If something, um, if something bad happens to us, something negative that we perceive as negative, like whatever it is, um, it actually takes us seven positives to get us back to where we were before the one negative. Oh, yeah. So that's how, but the research says if you write down three things that went well for you every day, what happens to you is your, the, like the front part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, it, it changes a bit. And you actually become three times more likely to notice a positive than a negative. So one of the things that's probably happening to you is you're actually probably just walking around and actually just picking up on so much good stuff um, going, Oh, how good is that? How good is that? Oh, this is happening. This is happening. But um, if you don't practice gratitude, you'll be having a good day and then something small happens to you. That's a bit negative. Um, and you just, and it just derails, you ruins your day and you stop paying attention to good stuff. So that could be maybe a little bit, it sort of explains that as well. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, mate, empathy. So empathy is probably one that we probably spend a lot of time on gratitude there because I, I do love it. Yeah. Empathy is probably one where yeah. I don't understand as much. And it's probably one of those things like sometimes I can, you know, I definitely try and be nice to as many people as I can. But in terms of empathy, in terms of sometimes I think in every French group, there could be someone that is maybe looks at the negative thing all the time. Yeah, and I think that, like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's just always that one person in someone's social group that you can, you're trying to like sway them, like, come on, mate, like this is going well, this is going well, but you're trying to be empathetic to them, but they're trying not to help themselves. Can you? Is there any sort of ways that you reckon that for people to help other people like that? Yeah, so empathy is when you can feel what someone else feels, right? So like, like the more empathetic you are, the more likely you are to act in a kind way. Yeah. Um, and I think in a positive way as well. So um, that's a really good question. Like everyone will know what it's like. If you, everyone listening right now, if you think about someone you know who's just unbelievably positive, they're unbelievably upbeat, like they're just up and about all the time about everything. They're the people you just love being around. And when you're around them, it kind of has an impact on you. Like you feel like you're more like that person. You finish hanging out with them. Like I've got a mate, right, called Dolly. Or his nickname, that's not his actual name, Dolly. It's his nickname, Dolly. He's the most positive, upbeat person, no matter what. And every time I'm around him, I just walk away from him feeling like a better person. And then when I'm around people after him, I find myself being more positive. But I think it works the other way as well. When you're around someone who, um, I've got a mate who just, he whinges about everything. Yeah. Like, so sees a negative, every, every, and people as well. He's like, oh, I can't die like that person, die this person. And you find yourself sort of being in that trap as well, where you kind of, you fall into being a bit more like that person, like whoever you're with, it's pretty powerful what it does to you, the way you behave. So um, I haven't answered your question at all yet, but um, I find that when you're around people who are very negative, um, you're just going to try so hard to bring all the positivity you can to try and influence them rather than them influencing you into being more negative. It's a pretty easy trap to fall in. If you hang out with someone, all they do is bitch about other people the whole time. It's pretty easy to just sort of guess. It's an easy, the easy option is to just go, yeah, fuck, I agree, what a knob or whatever, and just follow suit. But if you kind of flip it and go, no, I'm going to influence them, 
um, the most powerful way to influence someone's behaviour um, is to really focus like on the positive um, and be really positive. Like right now, I'm sitting in a car park outside an athletics track, right? And there is an old man. I say old. I'm an old man, but he's even older. He'd be probably like 70 and no shit. He's practicing javelin and he is putting his heart and soul into it. And you can either go, what on earth is he wasting his time for? Like he is, I'm not kidding. He's throwing it five meters maximum. So you can either go, what the fuck is this bloke doing? Or you can go, what a legend. He's 70 years old and he is practicing javelin. That is unreal. So you, like, you'll know people that you'd hang out with who would get around that bloke and go, that is yeah. so awesome. Have a look at him. But you know people who take the piss out of him and go, what a fucking idiot. Yeah. So you're just better off. You're just better off being that person who gets around people no matter what they're like. Definitely, mate. You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Okay. Hello, my beautiful friends and family. Guess what? I am back. I am back. Third time lucky. My third time drafted in my life. I'll be making a return to footy as a part of the Carlton Draft, along with some big household names. Not as big as my name, but uh, some quite big names. Isaac Smith, Trent Cotchin, Matty Lloyd, Lee Montagna. Some of the all-time greats of our game, as I've just mentioned. One lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT Aaron Phillips to play as a wildcard. How bloody good is that? If you're a part of women's community footy and you are keen to get Aaron down, enter now at thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com.au. I've heard you speak on a couple um, platforms now about mindfulness, and I suppose as like a bloke, um, I've practised mindfulness before. Um, as you know, you've been involved with footy clubs as well. Like We've had a couple sort of like gurus come in and, you know, we've had like yeah. sworn into these meditation sessions and it was sort of like two 20-minute yeah. meditation sessions a day. And, you know, I was really into it. But for me, like personally, it just wasn't sustainable. Um, I know that you've yeah. got a bit more of a, a different side of the way you like to do mindfulness and approach it. Like it doesn't have to be a sit-down yeah. thing where you book in every day. It can just be, in fact, like something that you do every day. No. Yeah, it's, it's um, that's one of my big... Not, not like, I wouldn't say a criticism, but like one of the things is, especially like sort of young, young, young people, you hear meditation and you're like, well, I think most people go, well, I got to sit on a rock with my legs crossed and put my hands in the air and make weird noises. And then like, you know, that, that's kind of what we think about. It doesn't have to be that. Like mindfulness can be really simply, oh my God, I wish you could see this person practicing javelin. It is unreal. It is. <laughs> He is, he's just thrown it about probably six metres and done a massive fist pump. <laughs> he's, he's grateful. Mate, it's about being present. I'm not being overly present right now, just <laughs> ignoring your question of watching it like no, do Calvin. No. But um, um, no, so one of the issues we have is we think, oh, you've got to sit in a rock and be like a yogi. So this is mindfulness for me is like you can do it in so many different ways. I am more in the – I'm the kind of person, if I was playing footy, and I'm in my 20s and someone comes to the club and says, you have to do two meditations a day. I'm like, I'm not doing that, mate. Or I'll sit there, but I'm not. I'll, I'll give an example. I did this for the Melbourne Storm years ago. And I was the one that introduced meditation to the Melbourne Storm. And so there's a lot of blokes, Billy Sater, Cameron Smith, and I sound like a fuckwit again, dropping names, but, and Cooper Cronk, they're like, we're in, we are in. The younger boys are going, I don't want to do this. This is such a waste of time. And I went in there one morning at seven o'clock before training and I all had to do meditation. And uh, the coach came in and so they're all trying to do the right thing. And one of the boys, uh, he lay down on the floor next to me and goes, hey, I'm not doing this. There's no one putting my Benny over my head. If I start snoring, elbow me. Just don't let me fall asleep in front of the coach, right? So like, 
that probably would have been me as well in my 20s. I would have been like, I'm not doing that. And probably still now, I wouldn't do that. But so there are many other ways. Um, you can like do an app. You can listen to a meditation that goes for 20 minutes and sit there. You can schedule it twice a day or once a day or once every two days. If you want, you could go for a run or you could walk a lap of a block or you could sit outside for like five minutes and just think about what you can hear. That's it. Like, so you sit there and you go, I can hear birds, I can hear the trees, I can hear cars going past, I can hear a javelin piercing the air, whatever, whatever it is, and you pay attention to what you can hear. And every single time your brain goes, oh, what am I having for dinner tonight? Oh, I'm real hungry. I mean, I'll, I'll go and get this after this. I'll go and get this. You go, no, 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 not what am I having for dinner later on. What can I hear right now? And then you go, yes, I can yes. hear people walking, I can hear people talking, and then your brain will go, oh, tomorrow morning I'm going to go for a run. And when I, after I go for a run, I might catch up this person for coffee. And you go, no, 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 not what's happening tomorrow morning. What am I actually, what, what can I, like, like, what can I hear right now? That's all you think about. So that's mindfulness. Like, you I could go that, for a man. run and do that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I really so, love that because it's been, like, we've had, I've had so many times like this um and it was you know like 20 minutes you have to record it you sit that you can't be laying down you have to sit up and be present and i had like a mantra that i had to sort of you know reply over in my head but i just thought like for me those sort of times where you're just sort of sitting there and being present i suppose and just thinking about what you're actually doing at the same time like what you're thinking what you're feeling and what you can hear um yeah and totally take into the practice totally and 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 like if you're into like if you're into sport if you love your sport one of the um we did this program with well so one of the rugby league clubs i worked with a couple of players said there's no way i'm gonna sit there and listen to what i can hear that's just like i'm not doing that so what we did was they we got um i got them in a couple of them in pairs and they walk up and down the field throwing little flick passes to each other i don't know rugby league terminology i'm not a league person but they passed the ball to each other and all they did was listen to the sound it made when the ball went through the air and they caught it. And that's all they did up and back. And it took them two minutes, three minutes to walk up and back. And I actually really liked that. And they said it was actually a really calming activity to the point where I didn't know this, but I found out um, uh, I went and watched Storm play against them in a final um, later that year at, at Amy Park. And I saw those two players walking up and down the ground just before a game doing that exact, exact thing because – when you practice mindfulness, it actually makes you a lot more calm and a lot more relaxed. And you don't need to have your legs crossed, hands in the air. You can pay attention to what you can hear or what you can feel or what you can see. Whatever it is, just paying attention to what's happening right now. How important do you think as well in terms of that? Like, honestly, I don't even know how this question is going to go because it's something that I've sort of found really works for me. But when I was living in Sydney, I was lucky enough to be near a beach um, and getting back to like nature and sitting near the ocean sometimes, I, I just felt like, if I got in the water and just put my, as soon as I put my head underwater and a wave went over me, it sounds corny, but like I just literally felt like every single problem I ever had was just like would flush away. No, um, it's, it's not corny at all. It's not, it's not corny in the slightest. Um, sorry, I cut you off then. You, you no, no, it's question. good. No, that's, that's it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, no, a good question. So there's actually like heaps of research now coming out that says that connection to the environment is massive, right, for, for our mental health. So um, people who spend more time outdoors, whether it's like in vegetable gardens, whether it's in the surf, whether it's um, working outdoors, whether it's um, uh, like running, whatever it is, people who spend more time connected to the environment have better mental health. So connection to the physical world is massive. 
Um, and there's a whole lot about being in the water that's happening. Like the cold water as well is really good for us. Um, but um, so there's a whole lot happening for you when you talk about being in the waves though. But um, when you do things outdoors, so there's studies that look at people who have lived the longest. So there's these different communities around the world where they have the most centurions, the most amount of people who have lived to 100, right? And there's a community in Japan um, where they look at this. There's so many people who live to 100. And one of the things I found was that all of them had their own vegetable garden. They're like, oh, they eat heaps of vegetables, but there was two things to it. They spend heaps of time outside with their hands in dirt. They understand the rhythm of the seasons. Um, surfers understand the rhythm of the seasons, right? They're outside all the time. They know what's happening different times of the year with the surf and the swell and all that. Like they're just, they're so connected to our natural environment. If you want to feel happier, spend time outdoors in natural environment. Like if you're miserable inside, right? It's raining, it's cold in winter and you're like, this is shit and you're feeling really flat. Go like put your like stick a jacket or whatever, go for a run, go for a walk outside in the rain um, and you pay attention to the way you, you're, like you might go, that sounds shit, you'll be miserable. But I guarantee you, there's something about being outdoors, even when it's cold and wet and raining, you just feel more alive. It's something that I've definitely picked up since finishing footy. I was saying um, to a mate yesterday, like for so long I got paid to, 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 to work out and it was something that was just a part yeah. of my day and I didn't realise how important that actually was for me because when I finished, I just stopped working out. And I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get fat. You know, I'm so over, you know, running and everything. And my number one thing I hated when I played footy was running and time trials. But yeah. ever since yeah. I've finished now, like getting out of the house and going for a run and not having to, you know, yeah. bust my ass, but just getting out and literally just going for a run, it's nearly like the highlight of my week. I know you're a keen runner. How much would that yeah. be? How much would you like encourage that for people to get out and do that? Oh, you, it's like you just have to. Like if you want to have good mental health, physical health is just like the links are just most ridiculous how much happier you are when you're, when you're exercising. But like if you want to experiment, the next time you're not feeling good, just do it as an experiment. Maybe if you don't like your running or your activity or your exercise, the next time you're feeling a bit flat, stick your headphones in, make a playlist that you really like, just run for 10 minutes, just do a 10-minute run, five minutes away from the house and five minutes back um, and just see how you feel after it and watch how different you feel. It's unbelievable. Like it's just, it's incredible how much physical exercise changes our emotion. But if you want to change your emotion quickly, music, exercise, and laughter—they're three really powerful things. Um, so laughter is a bit harder. You can't just sit there and go, oh, "I feel pretty down. I might start laughing." That's a bit of a <laughs> like a harder one. Yeah. Uh, but um, oh, I'm pretty but, uh, but you can just yeah, yeah exactly. It's a, it's a bit weird, but uh, but you can. You can, um, you can like just go and exercise. You can just listen to music if you combine them. Um, it's massive. That's really yeah. massive. So, I um, for running for me is huge. Like I, I played cricket um, from age, like I didn't miss a cricket of summer since I was like five till I was thirty six. I retired at thirty six, and it wasn't like elite. It was it was an okay standard, but it wasn't elite. Um, and I retired at thirty six, and I stopped playing sports. So. Because I was a bowler, I had to train all year round for to stay fit or whatever. And I had two months of no sport, so no exercise. And I thought this is gonna be awesome. I don't have to train anymore. I can yeah. just like kick back and and I couldn't believe the change in my mood. And I was like, what am I what am I doing here? Like I got nothing to there's no point exercising. So I and then like as you said, I I, I joined an ass club and um, I, I now run trained for four hundred motor sprints, which is a weird thing to want to do, <laughs> but it's not so much the like I compete every Saturday in the summer, like 
so I can just I'm a bit competitive I like competing but I've realized for me it's more about the training and getting around people and exercising that's that's the part that's really good for me it's the exercise so um yeah I mean it looks weird like a 40 year old bloke competing against 20 21 year olds but like I don't really care as you said it depends how you look it depends how you look at it someone could say good on him crack. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There you go. You're listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. Check out more apps at dylanfriends.com. We're talking about the journals. Um, I love them. I've I bought um one for all my family members and one for myself oh, as awesome. well. And put you on commission. Um, no, and I, it's it's a funny one with it because I suppose when you first do it, it's like I always sort of like to use an analogy. Like it's not. I just say. It's not how motivated you can get. It's like how motivated you can stay long for, like motivated for. Yeah. So with yeah. this book, I yeah, like to say, yeah, it's totally. not how grateful you are. It's how grateful you can be for a long time. Because some days you wake yeah. up, you're like, I'm going to absolutely write the shit out of this book. Like, I'm going to fill it in and you fill it in and you fill it in. <laughs> and then the next day, you're like, oh, fuck, man, I, I really can't be bothered doing that today. And you forget about it for a few yeah. days, you forget it for a few days. But it really is that sort of consistency with it. Um, firstly, how did they come about? And then I want to ask you about two parts about it because it's sort of my favourite parts to do with a book. Um, so how the journal come about? Yeah, the journal. Yeah. So um, every time I'd do a talk, um, people would say, how do we go and practice this stuff? And I'd go, oh, so download this app for mindfulness. Um, and then there's uh, you could go and buy this book from Kiki K or someone's gratitude journal and then yep. just maybe just do an act of kindness every day. And I kind of – people were saying, oh, you should um, – you should create your own stuff. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want it to look like I'm doing it to make money. It's not about that. And then in the end, it became like everyone just kept asking for something where you could practice all three. And so I was like, oh, okay. so we just, I wrote up this journal. Um, oh, that's right. No, it was the NRL who said we need some kind of, we want to give something to players something. So I created it for rugby league players in the first instance. And I thought they're not going to do this, but I couldn't believe how much they're doing it. And then, so I adapted it like to your everyday person, not necessarily an elite sports person um, who's built like a brick shit house, just your everyday person. And I couldn't believe it. Like it just went off. Like everyone's buying it and everyone's doing it. And, and um, yeah, you're right though. You can't, this is, when I do a talk, people are like, I'm pumped. I'm going to do the book every single day. And they do it for four days and they stop and they can't find it. Yeah. This is what happens. And then a year later, something goes wrong. So, you lose your job or you break up with your partner or you lose a loved one or, or for, you don't know why you're just feeling really sad all of a sudden or you're feeling really anxious and then you pull the diary out, which is great. And I love it that you've got that there. But if you do the diary every single day, when something goes wrong in your life, and it will, by the way, like we all experience trauma throughout our life. You don't go through, I mean, look at this global pandemic, but we all go mm. through tough things in our life. If you are someone who is, has already invested time in your mental health by doing something like our journal, it doesn't have to be our journal. There's other stuff you can do, but you'll be better equipped. When, when, when shit hits the fan, you'll cope better because you've already been practicing the stuff that will make you resilient. Yes, yes. And it's probably like the stuff we spoke about earlier. Like You're going to have those thoughts, but just catching it out quicker and being able to yeah. react to it. Um, my favorite part of the book is the part where I was meant to bring it in with me, but I don't have it. And that's not saying I'm not using it. I just forgot to bring it into the, the studio today. Um, it says, tell someone what they did for you. Like you talk about someone in the book, like why do you appreciate this person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So writing down about like something, you know, why is this mate, perfect mate you grateful? And then you can share that with them. That's probably part of it. Is that, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that sort of the empathy part of it? 
Well, I actually reckon it's the reason I put that in is I actually think it's a really awesome combination of three. So yeah, um, I reckon it's gratitude. So thinking about someone you're grateful for, you're going and doing something kind for someone by letting them know how much you love them or how much you appreciate them. But to truly think of that, you've got to stop and be present and go, who am I feeling really happy to have in my life right now? Um, so it could be Daniel Gorringe for making real freaky, weird shit on the internet, which yep. he shouldn't be allowed to do. Yep. Um, and you might go, I'm going to thank him because in his weird, messed up way, he makes me feel happy every day while making me laugh. So I'm going to message him. You've been mindful, you've been grateful, and also you've been kind to a weird person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, mate, look, to finish up, I know you speak to a lot of um, sports people and it's well documented, obviously. You spoke to a lot of AFL clubs, a lot of NRL clubs, most of them, to be honest. Um, you work with the Australian cricketers, Steve Smith, uh, Caitlin Bassett, and obviously Dustin Martin with the AFL we talked about earlier. Um, one of, I think there's someone bigger, though, that has a little bit more of an impact than these players and these uh, athletes. And it's someone that's very big in your organisation and someone that I have a lot of questions about. It's someone called Beefy. <laughs> Because <laughs> you talk about uh, people getting you up in days and days. Now, I follow you on Instagram at The Resilience Project, and you've got a guy here called Beefy who, look, you, you, you do work wonders, mate, and you get me grateful. You get me, you know, get my empathy going and you get my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one really gets me going as much as Beefy gets me going. Can you talk about, like, who is Beefy and, and how did he come into the uh, Mate, I could honestly do an entire episode on Beefy. In fact, I'm happy to do that one day and get Beefy on your podcast. He is. Oh, he is a specimen. So um, back in 2009, I was teaching this. I was teaching, uh, I was teaching year 11s and year 12s. And one of the year 12s I was teaching was called, his name's Nick Burke. And uh, he came up to me. Uh, I'd met all my class. I met all the students. And this bloke walked up to me and he kind of spoke to me a bit like Sam Newman talks. Like he kind of, like, you know, when Sam Newman points at the camera, he points with his whole hand. This yeah. like young 18-year-old points to his whole hands and he goes, who do you barrack for? And I said, I beg your pardon, mate. And he goes, he's like a student. I'm a teacher. He goes, who do you barrack for? And I said, oh, Hawthorne. And he goes, oh, that's fucked. Like really <laughs> aggressively. And I was like, I went, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, mate, I'm, I'm your teacher. teacher. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, yeah, well, this is not ideal. And I was like, I'm sorry, mate. And then I was like, there's something, I was like, what's going on here? And then I realized when we, we went on and had a good conversation about how passionate he is about calling with like, he goes, I'll brag for Collingwood and this is a problem. Like, how can I respect you and know that like you've like, anyway, it was just went on this ramble and he's talking to me like he's Sam Newman pointing out yeah. his whole hand. And he's and he was I realised pretty quickly he was taking the piss, but I was like, anyway, so I found out um, later on in another conversation that um, Beefy's that his nickname is Beefy. I haven't said no one knows why his nickname is Beefy. This is why we call him Beefy, because his name's Nick Burke, and then people started calling him Berkey. And then someone called him Beef Jerky because it rhymes with Berkey and then he became Beefy. So that's why we so Beef beef Jerky was was Beefy. So um, Beefy uh, has cerebral palsy. Uh, He had a stroke when he was born. So um, he's got limited, some parts of his body, limited movement. And he also has this condition called hydrocephalus or hydrocephalus. It means you have too much fluid on your brain. So like a mental and physical disability i didn't quite realize that you can't tell when you first speak to him and then yeah after i was like oh yeah okay yep so he's he's got a few challenges in his life you wouldn't know it i've never met a more positive upbeat legendary type person that everyone loves like and he's so nice and so 
positive about everyone. I was like, he is the best person. Like, he's awesome. And so he became, I've never had a, you're not meant to have favorites as a teacher, but I couldn't help but have him as a favorite. Like, I remember once he turned up to school, and this is school, like, and he was there early. I'm the only one in the classroom. And I didn't know, but Collingwood had lost to Fremantle the day before, and it was a Sunday, or turned up on a Monday. And I didn't realize that. And I, I opened the door and I said, How's your weekend, Beefy? And he thought I was taking the piss. And I didn't know Colin lost. And he goes, you can go and fuck yourself. <laughs> I was like, whoa, mate, I'm your teacher. And he goes, yeah, I know what you're saying. I said, what's your problem? And it turned out that Colin had lost and that's where it came from. But I was like, Beefy, you can't talk to me like that. Anyway, he's just so passionate. But um, a few months later, I thought oh, I might invite him down to be our water boy at our career club at Melbourne University. He came down to be the water boy. And, um, mate, he took it so seriously. He's so invested in the club. Like, he's the first one at training, last one to leave. He's the first one at games, the last one to leave. It's like he, he was awarded life membership uh, last year because he's been in the club That's for 10 years now and he puts more time than anyone. He's, oh, he's awesome. But um, I was doing stuff with Collingwood Footy Club and, um, and, and I was like, he's, his biggest love in life is Collingwood Footy Club. And um, I just said to Nathan Buckley, mate, I, I don't know if, like, I told him about Beefy. And um, Beefy actually now, he actually gives motivational talks after training because he said no to me way. once, oh, so he, ca- he came up to me after training one day and goes, oh, I want to talk to them. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, they're sucking about something. They need to, I can't remember what it was. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, just bring them in. I went, what? And I brought her in. He gave us the biggest spray because I was coach back then. He gave us the biggest spray and everyone loved it. And then from that point on, he became our chief motivational officer. And he gives us motivational talks every Thursday before training. Now, still does it 10 years running. He's kind of run out of material. He just kind of swears yeah, at us a lot. Same stuff, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he, um, but his message is often like unbelievable. Like his message is so good. So I told Nathan Buckley about it. Nathan Buckley goes, "Mate, get him along to Collingwood." And I said, "Are you serious?" So we surprised him one day, and he didn't know it was happening. He thought me and him were hanging out, but we drove to Collingwood footy training at training. And I said, "Beefy goes, what are we doing?" And I said, "Mate, you're on. You're running water for Collingwood." And he's like, "Oh yeah. my god, so he's running water for them." And then, and then um, uh, Scott Pendlebury goes, "Boys." There's a guy called Beefy here. He wants to have a chat to us. And Beefy gave the Collingwood boys a spray, which ended up, it's had the most views on anything we've ever done. It went completely viral. He sprayed them. And now every year to the finals, Nathan Buckley got him down to give him a motivational That's speech. That's so good. Uh, everyone knows Beefy, but for the young guys who haven't met him, make sure you get over and say g'day. Um, but he's just got a few words of wisdom for us leading into Friday night. So over to you, Beefy. Boys, they say the third time's a charm. You know what that is? That's Friday night for us, boys. These have had too good for too long. They are us too. They took our 1980th flag away from us and they've always just been real smarmy and somehow go hiding and come back again. But it's our opportunity right now. We're taking back what is ours. Come on, boys. Come on. Come on. It's unbelievable. So, and now Beefy is, um, he kind of does a lot of stuff with us at the Resilience Project. He's, he was the MC at my wedding. That's, I love him. I was he really? Yeah, well, I've seen well, him, was, as, was, as was, I said. I've seen on your Instagram, he um he is probably the funniest bloke I've ever seen. Like that, the pumps up he gives at the moment, especially with the the coronavirus going around, rallying everyone together. We've got to stick together. We've got to stick through this. It's it's honestly a lift up. Yeah, and, he, and this is my favorite thing about it. I posted the video. There's 328 comments on the video, and he wrote back to every single person individually. Oh, what a ripper! That's so. <laughs> and weird. this is the this is the best thing I said. Hey, Beefy, you don't need. He gave me a bit of a spray. I said, Beefy, you don't need to write back to everyone. He goes. Yeah, well, it's called common courtesy, mate. 
<laughs> oh, shit. Hugh, uh, mate, I think that's a perfect way to end it, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Um, honestly, I've learned a lot through that, and uh, I know how busy you are again. So thank you so much for your time. I hope everyone can um, learn as much as I have out of that, and best of luck with the future, mate. Hopefully, once this is all over, we can catch up for a few cold cordials. Sounds good, mate. And, and, and I'll just give you two things to finish off. First of all, if anyone out there is, is struggling a bit and you're going through a bit of a ta- down patch or you're, you're battling a bit, um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's completely normal. In fact, it's just saying that you're human. It's okay to struggle. Uh, Lifeline's a great resource. If you want to give them a buzz if you're really struggling. Uh, but then also to you, Dill, to finish, mate, it's having people like you talk about stuff like mental health is so fucking powerful. So thank you so much for having made it. Um, you're going to help a lot of people with this. Thank you very much, mate. And all those things will be on the show notes, guys, as well, especially with um, Hugh's journal. I honestly couldn't um, encourage you guys enough to, to get one of those journals and start um, getting it done because um, all together we can, uh, we can get it done and be a bit more like beefy. Legend. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. <laughs>